Hi, this is Mike Hogan, and coming up on this week's edition of the Double Blue Podcast, we will have Anthony Coombs from the Argonauts, and he will drop by. He's back in the lineup after missing way too many games with uh, with an injury. Uh, JJ and I will break down the game against Winnipeg. We'll look ahead to the game at BC, and we will also break down all of the category winners uh, with the Football Reporters of Canada vote in terms of individual awards. That is, we continue with the Double Blue Podcast. Hello. This is episode number 18 of the Double Blue Podcast. Mike Hogan and Jeff Johnson with you, your lovable radio crew from TSN 1050. Uh, Coming up on the program, our guest from the Toronto Argonauts will be a guy who's going to be back in the lineup on Saturday against BC. Anthony Coombs will be uh, back in the lineup. That's good, and he'll be joining us a little bit later on. The pride of Winnipeg, Manitoba. Hi, JJ. Hey, hey, what's happening, buddy? I'm ready for some football. (laughs) Is there a full moon right now? Why? That was quite the... Oh, the, uh, the well, yeah, it's, it's 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 Halloween week, so there might be once a line. I, I used to be a werewolf, but I'm okay now. Um, yeah, nice work. Uh, not really. So the uh, the bye week. I hate bye weeks at this time of the season because I'm ready for some playoff football. Although it would be really nice to have a bye week in a week if you're an Argo fan. Yeah, it's kind of strange, and especially with uh, at this time of year, you know, for the Argos, obviously playing for the bye week and then having a bye week in the schedule is a bit yeah. odd although very helpful to the bodies right now oh, right like come God, on yeah. guys uh getting the bodies back long season ebbs and flows very very taxing you know How throughout much, the course seriously? you know you played in the league a long time especially when you were in your 30s as opposed to when you were 25 yeah, yeah. um how much seriously does the body recover from just normal aches and pains in a week with an extra week Oh, well, a regular week, it doesn't recover, yeah. right? Uh, I remember an uh, old friend and uh, a person that we know well, Dwayne Ford, an yep. ex-teammate, yep. saying to me in my first year, you know, as I was coming from practice, going into the gym, lifting profusely and, and doing some extra running. You lifted weights? Really? A doesn't little bit, show. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I know I look a little <laughs> bit dumpy now. But um, yeah. Ford, he said, kid. There's a secret weapon in this game, and the, and the sooner you can figure it out, the longer the career you'll have. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, it's rest. Mm-hmm. He's like, rest is a secret weapon. You've got to get off your feet when you can. Make sure your body's feeling good. Make sure you get your stretching in. Obviously, maintain your strength. Mm-hmm. Um, but listen to your body as well, right? And uh, so rest is huge. And so, I mean, a normal week, it's not, you're, not, you're not recovering properly. And it just mm-hmm. starts to accumulate week after week, the soreness, the aches, the pains. It doesn't get back to zero. Mm-hmm. It's you know it, it you know it goes up to a hundred or an eighty, then it peels back to maybe a forty or a fifty. Then you just mount on top of it, and it keeps you know staying higher each time. Yeah. So having an extra bye week is significant. Get off your feet, guys. Can get away from football for a little bit, and maybe uh, just think about something else, which mm-hmm. is also very good at oh. this point of the year. Well, when you're seeing the same faces, and it's like you know every day at work for people, but this is a seven day week for the most part. Yeah, because even if you're, you know, after a game, you might be going in to do some film, or you might be going into some treatment, or doing whatever you have to do. Mm-hmm. You're seeing the same damn ugly faces every day for six months, and they get uglier as the season goes on, right? <laughs> it's not the same face when you first saw them in training camp. You hadn't seen anybody in a while, so everybody yeah. looks good, yeah, right. But the, by this point of the season, everybody's looked as ugly as they can get. Yeah, so there <laughs> with is lots that. of love, though, of course. But with that said, on uh, on Saturday night in BC, the best thing in the world would be the Argos to go in and win, and basically a win guarantees them a first. Round win in the playoffs. Yeah, I know you got to lock this up. Yeah. Argos have control right now, control their own destiny. They want first place. Like, how great would it be to have host that that East final at yeah. BMO? It would be yeah. amazing, right? So, mm-hmm. um, control of that right now. Again, 
not an easy place to play, and we'll talk about that you yeah. know, in a little bit, but not an easy p- place to, to play going out to BC. So it will be a difficult task ahead of them, but um, certainly something that they have control of right now, and uh, it'd be great to, to get that extra bye week. Now, also, uh, speaking of uh, the BC Lions, they went into Winnipeg last week and did a pretty nice job on the Blue Bombers. I don't think anybody saw that coming, mainly the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. No. Well, you know what? The BC Lions, uh, yeah, they're out of the, of, of the postseason. However, there's 60 guys on that team that are now playing for a job, right? And I, I know we've we've talked about this in the past, but it's very important at this point of the season uh, to, you know, to compete. The eye in the sky doesn't lie. The coaches are really looking at games at this point of the year for the teams that aren't in the playoffs. They want to see how each person uh, plays, whether they play 60 minutes, because um, these types of games can can expose true character. And last week, the BC Lions, they brought it against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I think Winnipeg was a little surprised. Uh, I also know Nichols didn't play uh, most of the game. But, yeah. yeah. And who knows what he... I think he's getting this... I think I read that OSHA's giving him this week off as well. That's so right. get him ready for the for the postseason. Um the last game the Argos played, and it yes. seems like it seems like about a million. It years seems like ago a neon right ago, doesn't it? Yeah, um, was that wild finish against Winnipeg on the kick fantastic. in, kick out, and you know when when the, when the when the kick was made, I was trying to figure out where it was, whether it was outside the twenty five, and whether it was out of bounds on the air or in the air, because I'm trying to think. Okay, it's outside the twenty five. Is that a penalty if you kick it? You know, because if you shank one, it goes out of bounds at the 45, right? Sure. It's a penalty. Yes. So, you know, that would have meant if it's a penalty, Winnipeg would get the ball back at 10 yards up and get another opportunity to kick what would be a, basically a, less than an extra point. That's so right. So I was waiting for that because the game can end on a penalty. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out. I read the rule book and realized, okay, you can kick it out inside your own 20 as well, 25 as well. Mm-hmm. But I read something that I didn't realize before. Mm-hmm. If you punt from your end zone, so you get into that kick-in, kick-out situation, yes. or it's just a snap, and it goes off your foot wrong, and you shank it, and it hits the upright. If you're kicking from your own end zone, it's not a dead ball. It's a live ball. I've never seen that before. Well, that I would been, love to see that. That would have been hairy if that were to happen. Because nobody would know the rules. Nobody would know the rules. Well, you, you'd, at, you'd give up, right? At, you'd, you'd, you'd be waiting for the whistle. Yes. You wouldn't know what to do. Likely... If anybody knew what what was going on there, it would be the three guys that would have been behind in in the end zone. So Liram would have been one that would have known potentially. Malcolm Williams is back there, and was it Cody? I'm trying to remember who the third. Uh, guy I don't. Was. I don't. I, I can't recall. But mm-hmm. if if anybody did know the rule, it would have been them three. Because sure. I mean, just thinking back to coaching staffs when I played, guys that would have picked up on that detail. O'Shea would have picked up on that small little nuance. Ivan, uh, you know. Yeah, Ivan would likely pick up yeah. on that small little nuance. So they probably knew about it. Now the rest of the guys, I can't say the same for right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know the team on the other side, um, you know. Did you be honest? Did you know that rule? No, I did not. Okay, neither no. did I. No. I've been I've been following the league for a while, and I read the rule book on a not a regular basis, but at least once or twice a year, I'll I'll go through it just to kind of reinforce everything. Yeah. And you were a special teams captain. For a That's long right. time and played specials <laughs> forever, and you didn't. Don't tell know anybody. That. You didn't know that. Don't rule. tell anybody. So it's, it's just it was when new. I went, wow, that could that will never ever come into play in a game. But if it did, I would be really curious to see what happened because nobody would know the damn rule. It'd oh, it, hilarious! It, it would be pretty awesome, and uh, and it was quite the moment. What actually played out was quite the moment, and yeah. it brought me back memories to several years ago where. You know, there was the, you know, Bradwell, Bradwell. was in the play. Yeah. and uh, you know. Damon Duvall. Oh, my goodness. Uh, what a wild finish that was. Yeah. and then uh, that was, But it actually uh, went back and forth a couple times, right? And, yeah. and that was uh, an incredible. But, but let's just talk about Liram's ability to place that kick 
on the fly. Like mm-hmm. I mean, how difficult is that? He makes the catch, starts running towards the goal line, and recognizing that he might get tackled if he continues to try and run out. Not 100% right? sure. No. I think he would have gotten out, uh, So do I. know. But he's, you're gambling, yeah. right? And so if he does try to get out, number one, let's say he does get out. He's going to get hammered when he gets out, mm-hmm. right? He's going to get hit by a, a large individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a few things to process there quickly yeah. for your, your your primary kicker, right? Mm-hmm. So number two, uh, to you know, okay, how far away to quickly judge how far away those players are approaching are, and to be able to kick a perfect kick. Essentially, that was a perfect kick in yes. my opinion. Yeah. It landed one yard from the sideline <laughs> yeah. and bounced out. Yes, and right, I mean that that's perfect because mm-hmm. now the other team has no chance to to field it and to kick it back. Yeah. Right, so yeah, it was, it, it was, was fantastic, unreal. and uh, uh, just one of those games. Um, this week, earlier this week, we saw the nominees, the team nominees, uh, as voted by members of the Football Reporters of Canada. Uh, I don't know who the hell their president is, but he should be impeached within the month, and I think that's going to happen. You're listening to the Double Blue Podcast on TSN 1050. I'm Mike Hogan, along with Jeff Johnson. Uh, but uh, the, the the nominees were announced after votes by the local the, the local chapters of the people who cover the league yep. uh, have a vote, and uh, they do that in each market. So the Toronto media voted on the Toronto nominees. Likewise in Hamilton, likewise in Ottawa, likewise in Montreal, and across the league. Okay. So the uh, the Toronto reporters um, voted on the award nominees. Did, did anything? We'll kind of go through these one by one, but sure. before we do. Mm-hmm. Um, was there any one of the nominees that kind of caught you off guard and said, hmm, that's a little interesting? No, no. Uh, it, it, to be honest, uh, these nominees were in line with my one or two yeah. votes in, in each category. Yeah. Uh, you know, the fact that Sean McEwen won the Canadian offensive line, and that was probably the big, that was a, yeah. a little surprising. I thought Declan Cross was going to win that. That he won both. Yeah. I mean, Declan was up there from a Canadian side. Uh, you know, I think if Anthony Coombs had a full year, absolutely, his season started out lightning. I think he was on pace for 94 catches. Right. Yeah. yeah. And he was second or third in the league in yak yards when he got hurt. Yeah, well, okay. So, I mean, th- yeah. there you go. He, he he was looking great. And we, we talked about it at the beginning of the year and, and some of the things that we were hoping to see from him and we saw it. Right. Yeah. And so he would have certainly been a consideration. But in terms of players right now, I had Declan up there. Um, I think there was... Uh, Couple other guys as well that um, I, it's funny. Like there were uh, let's okay. Let's just get into this individually. We'll kind of go through these and the yeah. uh, the most outstanding player nominee. I was I'm not surprised it's Ricky Ray. I'm surprised it was unanimous because I thought somebody would lean toward S. J. Green, who also had a career year, um, yeah. a spectacular year for S. J. Green, and I spectacular. Think it, yep, agreed. But Ricky did the same thing, and I, I don't know which is more of a surprise because. This seems comical now, as I wrote about a week ago when I was kind of previewing the votes. Yes. Um, if we were a year ago, we were talking about Drew Willie as the future quarterback of this team. <laughs> we were wondering if Ricky Ray would take a backup assignment with the Toronto Argonauts or would he retire? Yes. And he came back and decided, screw this, I'm going to throw for 5,000 yards and over 20 touchdowns. Yeah. And have one of the, uh, by the time all is said and done in, uh, in uh, BC on Saturday night, Ricky Ray may have the second best statistical career of his 15 years in the Canadian Football League. And that's amazing at the age of 37 slash 38. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I think, you know, from Ricky's perspective, looking at this year, it was a little unique in that there was an opportunity for him to work with one of the greatest, arguably one of the greatest quarterback coaches that have ever been in the CFL mm-hmm. in Mark Tressman, right? Yep. And, I, and I think that it presents itself as something, well, hey, wait a minute. 
it would be great to I mean that could be a potential regret if he didn't mm-hmm. when he's done think wow you know I wonder how I could have done hmm you don't want to be that guy you know football players aren't one of those guys that <laughs> yeah. that live like to you know kind of have regrets and they like to try and go for it mm-hmm. uh, Ricky Ray's certainly one of them um, and uh, we see how he's done but his numbers this year have been simply Just unbelievable remarkable. the milestones that he's hit the 60,000 yard club the with third or fourth time in his career that he's hit five thousand, and he's you know, had, how many touchdown passes did he have dropped early in the season? Yeah, and he still got over a hundred. Yeah, yeah, as an Argo, yeah. right? And uh, you know, four hundred and forty-eight completions Insane. this season, which is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, that's but that's Ricky Ray, and I did, nothing surprises me about him anymore. He rolls out of bed this year. He throws for three hundred. Yeah. It's just it's been no, remarkable. It's crazy. But to your point about S. J. Green, you know what? He uh he deserves certainly deserves mention. And yeah. I'm a little surprised that it was unanimous as well. But I think some of that might have to do with all of the milestones that were hit on Ricky's bet, you know, part. I mean, it is sure it's one year. But we're gonna see S. J. with hundred catches for the first time in his career and all yeah. he set career highs. Highest number of yards uh, receiving. Was, yeah, let's see over fifteen hundred now and just just an incredible year for a guy that we didn't know if he was gonna play or not. Yeah, well, with the knee injury that he had, remarkable when, year. When you factor that in, uh, you know, which for me, I, I do consider those no. things, right? Um, if you just look at okay, week one to week eighteen, uh, then you know that's not being considered. But when you factor in all of the things that fed into that season for him, uh, I mean, you 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 can't you have to give him a vote. There so. were some tough votes. I think that was the toughest one for me. Yeah, because SJ was just. Spectacular, and I don't know if Ricky Ray has the season he does without SJ. I don't know if SJ has the season he has without Ricky. Ricky putting the ball there. We saw Ricky Ray stretch the field early in the season, specifically a lot more than he has as an Argonaut because of the SJ Green presence. Yeah, and it's just it was it was a remarkable symbiotic relationship, and it's it was almost impossible to pick one over the other. Um, I think if we had this vote after three games of the season for most outstanding defensive player, uh, it would have been unanimously Victor Butler's yeah. eight sacks in three no games. Uh, but then he gets hurt, gets out of the lineup, and uh, it ends up being Bear Woods uh, who wins. And we should say that Ray was the only unanimous selection sure. uh, by, yep. the, by the voters. So this was not unanimous, but uh, Bear Woods as the uh, choice for defensive player of the year. Well, I mean, his his stats have been have been good. He's not at the top of the league in, in tackles, but that, you know what, He's that close. doesn't always indicate the best player out there, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I think Bear brings significant intangibles to the defense, mm-hmm. and so what I mean by that is just the leadership qualities, uh, you know, his communication, um, you know, it, it just, I, f- I felt like since he's been there, that, that unit has turned into, like, kind of, like, sticky, you know, kind of like glue, you know, like, muddy sort of and, and but that's how you need a defense to be that that shifts and you know mud that's sticky but evolves yeah. right and so as you lose a player you stick it in and it sticks right to it again and it, it continues to move as one piece right and uh and i think bear woods is is the key to that so what i learned today is that a bear can move in the mud and welcome back to the double blue podcast mike hogan in with you jeff johnson has stepped out of the room momentarily he'll be back and we will preview the game against bc First up, though, oh, this is nice. I like this conversation probably more than any other one this year because we get to welcome him back to the lineup. Joining us now, running back slash receiver, Anthony Coombs. You're back! Yes, I'm back. I'm back in the lineup. Feeling good. Welcome. How crazy has this been on you mentally, waiting and waiting and waiting to get back in the lineup? Um, It's definitely been a, a learning process for me because the collarbone it's like a more patient injury so you just you do exactly what you're saying you just got to wait and wait and then once you're ready to go you know you can do it but it's it's it is a process though it's tough 
Well, and you don't want to come back early because you get popped the wrong way, and there it goes. And instead of you know two more weeks to go, all of a sudden you're looking at eight again. Exactly. Um, so when you're when you're when you're healing, like I've seen you out uh, at the facility running. That's one yeah. thing to keep the cardio going. But with yeah. that injury specific, how do you keep your strength up on on that side on that arm? So it's just broken down into intervals. So the first six weeks, you can only lift about five pounds, nothing more. And then after six weeks, you could start, um, you know, getting more weight up there. But I kind of sneaked in some heavier weight earlier on to kind of speed up the process. But yeah. it didn't matter anyway because they held me back. But uh, uh, you, you really do have to wait. Like five pounds is nothing. So you don't really feel like you're rehabbing. But um, the six weeks, you're probably just waiting, hanging out. And then later you can actually work out. So if you hurt an ankle, like you can go out and you can run, right? And you can you can kind of feel if it's getting better. Same as a knee, same as a thigh, whatever. With this yeah. injury specifically, like can you tell? Is there a time you know that it's back to normal, or do you actually wait now till you go to Vancouver and get hit for the first time? Um, I think physically, I mean the the body is obviously intelligent, right? So it kind of it kind of you can communicate with it to really see where you're at physically but i've noticed just through stretching or mobility if it's tight or if it needs more strength and um i once i got to the point where i was benching 225 and you know i had all my mobility with no pain i feel like physically you're fine so in the game like it's more of a mental thing sure. you, know, you just want to make sure that it's it's going to uphold some contact but that was like sj right like he had that major yeah. knee thing last year and i asked him when he knew he was good and he said it wasn't until I made the first catch. And and you know for him it was a it was an interesting one because it was a tough catch over the middle in double coverage. And he said yeah. when he got up from that, he said, "Okay, I'm good to go." Yep, exactly. You need you need that uh, that experience to have that like uh, um, that thing to back you up. So the, the the thing that really sucked for you was the timing because you're playing your best football of your career. Um, mm-hmm. That must have weighed on you, especially the first couple of days or first week or so of the injury of just, you know, how frustrating it must have been because you were playing so darn well. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing, though, is, like, even though I was I was getting some good personal success, the first thing that I thought, the first thought that went through my mind is I was going to miss, uh, like, an incredible run because I felt like this team is really special that we have. And I knew, you know, if – you know, come playoff time, I felt like we could really make something happen, and I wanted to be a part of that. So I feel like that was my motivation because when when I was out, I knew, you know, whatever personal awards were out the window, and all I could really do is, like, be a part of the great run that I always thought that we were going to do. So um, that was kind of the first thought that, ha- that uh, I had through my head, and it kind of kept my hopes alive because, um, you know, no matter how many weeks are out, if you do come back, you could be a part of, uh, you know, a great cup championship team, which is, uh, which is, uh, you know, hopefully what we'll be able to do these next coming weeks. Well, when you started, you mentioned it's a, it's a special room this year. When you started, there were still a lot of guys around who were on the 2012 great cup team. And, you yeah. know, some, most of those guys have gone now. There's still a few guys kicking around, but yeah. you, you were on a pretty good team. And then you like last year struggled. You went through the hell of the road trips a couple of years ago. What makes, yeah. what make you, you talk about the strength of the room. What makes it special? What makes this one different? In the room. So when I got when I got to the Argos, they were fresh off. Uh, um, I think they were in the East Final, and then the year before that, they won the Grey Cup. Yeah. And the thing that 
I was told was that the, they had a tight-knit locker room. And that was something that you could tell is the guys really had camaraderie. Uh, guys like Matt Black, Dury, keeping them out. Um, guys have just been playing with each other for a while. Ricky, too, they're all playing with each other. And um, it's the same thing this year. Like, you know, we're a family. There's no, there's no cliques. There, um, people don't just hang out in groups. You know, we all socialize. We're all like brothers over there. And, and it really does reflect on the field because you go out there and you want to play for each other. And um, when uh, Trustman first got announced as the head coach, he sent us a long letter. And, you know, at, at, at first glance, one would think, you know, oh, you know, that's a good letter. But in hindsight, you really see what the whole purpose of it was because it really preached about caring for each other because when it comes down to it, you're going to, you know, you're going to put your neck on the line for somebody you care about versus somebody that, you know, you don't really know. So, and that's the difference between the teams that, that you know, weren't so successful is I feel like even though, you know, we, we all liked each other, we just didn't have that bond that, that it takes work to build. You're listening to the Double Blue Podcast. This is TSN 1050, and our guest is Argo receiver slash running back Anthony Coombs. I, I've talked to some of the older guys about this. Like, Whitaker raves about the way that Trestman treats the players, not as football players, but as people. Um, yeah. Devere Posey, who's been through, what, three NFL experiences and, and played yeah. at a major D1 school at, at uh, Ohio State, and he talks about how different Trestman is. Yeah. Not from an X's and O's standpoint, but as a person, what have you learned from Tressman? What have you learned about yourself? Um, so what have I learned from Tressman, and then what have I learned about myself? Yeah, through Tressman. Like, what has he preached that has kind of opened your eyes uh, as so, a football player, as a, as, a, as a person? So one of the things that I notice that he does that's different from a lot of coaches is he believes in everybody. Like, like he really does. Like, he, he'll give guys you know, second or third chances. Like if you happen to fail on, let's say, a particular route or, um, you know, you miss an assignment, it's not, it's not the end of the road for you. You know, now if you keep making the same mistakes, for sure, right? Because sure. that's just the way the business is. But I, I've noticed he really puts guys uh, in opportunities to succeed that, you know, most of the time maybe would just be running decoy routes or they wouldn't be in, in the mix or being targeted at all. So, uh, I noticed that he gives everybody an opportunity and that kind of arises a fire into each person because they know that like, you know, if, if I work hard, it's going to matter. And, you know, I, uh, my, my coach believes in me, you know, everybody wants the head coach to believe in them. And if, and if it doesn't, it could be demoralizing because then, you know, no matter what you do, you're never going to get your opportunity. But one thing he does is that's really good that I noticed just in the offensive room is uh, everybody, he believes in everybody. Do, are you the kind of guy that, that responds better when you get a pat on the back, or are you the kind of guy that responds better when you get a kick on the rear end? Because there's, there, there are guys like that on every team, right? So everybody responds differently to coaching. Yeah, I mean, I've had both, and, and I respond I respond pretty well to both. I feel like when Milanovic was there, you know, he would kind of get on you, mm -hmm. you know, just because he wanted you to be better. And, you know, I resonated with that, and Tressman kind of, does a different different approach, but um, either way, I feel like as a professional athlete, you gotta hold yourself accountable to your own mentality. You can't rely on somebody else's method to be telling you how to how to uh, conduct yourself. You know, so I feel like both methods work, and and I, I understand the intent of them. Right, the intent is to make you a better player. Whether it's you're not doing well on a certain day, all they want to do is is 
you know, light some fire until you get back to where you should be. Well, you were doing exceptionally well before the injury. Um, you were going to demolish all of your personal marks, and, and it seemed for whatever reason uh, the light switch really went on full this year for you. What, what was the biggest difference? Was it the offense? Was it the coaching? Was it just confidence? Was it uh, you're, you're playing with your body and just reacting as opposed to thinking about things? Like what, what Have you been able to analyze it? And you certainly had enough time to do it. Um, have you kind of looked back on your success and, and maybe why it was different this year? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's a combination of a lot of those things that you mentioned, like all of the above, like, you know, I'm in my fourth year. Um, the coaching is different. Uh, the offense is a little bit different. Um, and, uh, I just feel different out there. I feel more comfortable, like from a personal standpoint. And I feel like in my earlier years, I just wasn't really able to, um, calm myself down on game day and maybe I just overthought a lot of things like like really I never understood how much people would say professional sports is mental until you really go through the process because it doesn't matter how fast or you know how high you can jump like you really need to be able to just like be in a zen like state on game day because if you're thinking about something that's not there like you can't react and and, uh, that's one thing that I noticed is just like being more relaxed, and, and that's where the confidence comes in. Also, preparation, too. It, you just, it, when you're more prepared, you're more confident. Right. For those who are listening right now who either don't get to every game or just sit at home and watch the games on TSN, or they may be listening on the radio and, and haven't gotten down to a game at BMO yet, why should they go down and support the team that you're on right now in a playoff game? I mean, because it... it this this year it's gonna be um, it's gonna be a really special playoff run I feel like because we got a group of guys that just like like I said we're a family and um, BMO Field is a perfect environment if that stadium's filled you know you you know you're, there's gonna be an amazing experience and um, I just think that if people go to the game you know they're gonna get an amazing show especially uh, with the teams that um, that we could possibly face there's some great talent on the field and um, you know come out and support us because if we win this game this weekend, uh, we're going to get this home game. And then when we win that, we're going to be heading to Ottawa uh, uh, for the Great Cup. So, um, I mean, if that's not a reason to come, I don't know what is. Well done. Uh, I can't wait to see you on the field this week and uh, then in the playoffs as well. Anthony, welcome back to the lineup, and thank you so much. This was a fantastic conversation. Go get them in Vancouver. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. That's Anthony Coons. When we come back, Jeff Johnson will uh, rejoin us, and we'll uh, we'll get you ready for that game in Vancouver as we continue with the Double Blue Podcast. You're listening to the Double Blue Podcast on TSN 1050. I'm Mike Hogan along with Jeff Johnson. Um, but if, if you're up front, if you're on the front four, and, yeah. and Chamberlain must be so relieved knowing he's got a sure tackle. It's not just the number of tackles. And Bear Woods will tell you the thing that he was most proud of a year ago wasn't the 125 tackles or whatever it was. It was the percentage. Yes. Where if he got his paw on you, he was not going to let you go. And if you're up on the front four, you can probably maybe think, I can take a little bit of a chance here because I know I got 48 behind me to clean up. Yeah. And I think that's added to the pressure that the Argos have been able to apply. 100%. You don't see them send Bear very often. No. When he does, it's usually at a very opportune moment, and he usually either gets the hit, the rush, or the sack. Yeah. Um, so he's been very good. But this was tough for me because it's the same thing. He came in the same time Marcus Ball did. And Marcus Ball, if he had have stayed healthy, it would have been even tougher Bang on. to decide yep. these two. 
Um, I voted for Barrows probably just because of he's played more games. It was yeah. as simple as that because I, I, when they're in there together, I can't differentiate one from the other. And because of the injuries on the defensive line, basically you can make an argument for Lemon, Butler, uh, for Dylan Wynn, yep. for Cleon Lang. Agreed. You you can make a, a I think you can make an argument. Cassius Vaughn should be in the uh, yeah. in the argument because of the picks and because of the versatility he's shown on the back end. He's been all over the field. You can make the argument for any of them, but if you narrow it down for me, it was between Bear and Marcus. I didn't know who the hell to vote for. It was yeah. another difficult one, but I was right with you. Played. Exact same page. You yeah. know, you think about uh, that D line. Not only do they have you know Bear Woods, but Marcus Ball's there, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I mean the, the tandem, the two of them, I think are uh, probably the best. I think the best line linebacking core uh, or tandem in, in the CFL. So I mean having those two in there is is huge. And and you know it's not just Bear that is kind of the center of that glue. Marcus is a huge component of that, and he, mm-hmm. and so is Cassius Fawn. And so I think as a unit, incredibly strong. But I mean I had several guys that I had considered in terms of. Who would get a vote? Again, everybody you just named yeah. across that D line, essentially, um, you know, and including Bear Woods and Cassius Vaughn. I mean, it was a difficult call, right? And, it was, yeah. um, you know, it's almost like flip a coin, right? I mean, but that's the kind of defense yes. that Chamberlain built, right? Which and, and so that's by design. It's it's not about one guy. It's not about two guys. It's about the unit, yeah. right? And that's what makes this group special. And uh, and to be honest, uh, one of the key reasons that the Argos have been in uh, most of the games this season, even when the offense has struggled, this defense. Has kept them right there. What's McEwen in now? Second year? He's unreal. Yeah. Second <laughs> nominee, year. Nominee for best offensive lineman. Nominee for top Canadian. Yes. Uh, the, the, the team winner in both of those uh, categories. I think, you know, when you talk to people, and I, when Sean joined us on the Double Blue podcast, the thing I talked about was uh, um, when you talk to coaches about him, almost the first word that comes out is cerebral or smart or yep. heady or whichever adjective the, the coach will come up with. This guy just gets it. Which is remarkable to play that position. Sure, be as cerebral as he is, and be able to not only be able to do what he does at this stage of his career mentally, but also be able to block the way he does on a on a unit that sometimes had some problems early in the season. Yeah, no, Hoagie, absolutely. I, I think uh, the fact that he was the the winner in both these categories is interesting. I mean, I wanted to quickly uh, touch on it earlier. The name was alluding to it. Like, I mean, on the defensive side, I thought. Jermaine Gabriel's had a solid year. I know he's been hurt for a while. But he was hurt while. for quite a while. Which, yeah. Right, and and if he hadn't, I think he would have certainly been in, in that sure. category. You know, But again, huh. McEwen, Chris Van Zyl. Yep. I mean, this is normally the guy that wins the top lineman or you know Canadian. Yep. He is certainly in conversations all the time. And, Absolutely. And I think he's had a great year too, but it, it's hard to overlook uh, how McEwen has done in the middle, having dominated that center position and, you know, and grabbed it. And you know that's a spot where, with a changing changing of the guard offensively, somewhat mm-hmm. terminology would have changed, protection would have changed, um, and just being able to grab that communicated across the group. And um, you know he seems to be uh, have that center lockdown. No penalties against yeah, the guy either. That's, ridic- that's ridiculous, right? That's insane that he hasn't taken a holding penalty or a procedure penalty as a center by you know kind of yes. playing with the ball or something. At least or- procedure. Yeah. yeah, just d- remarkable. And the other guy that I wanted to uh, to single out here because I thought uh, he was exceptional. And um, the, the we've talked about some of the struggles, especially early in the season. They were getting some pressure on the inside. There seemed to be some miscommunication. When Will Campbell came in at left tackle, it seemed that that position was solidified. Yes. Um, we rarely see a guy from that spot on the field 
uh, pressure raid. If there's pressure, it's coming from the inside. It's coming at the middle. Yep. I thought, I, it's tough to use the term a racer. And the first year in the Canadian rookie. Football League, getting ready, you know, getting used to the yard off the ball. Um, didn't start the season at left tackle, but yeah. he's a guy that we never talk about. And there's a guy that could have been nominated in a couple of different categories, rookie and, and offensive line. Offensive I had him written down for both yeah. as well as as a like as somebody that had to be considered. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, come on, this is left tackle, right tackle. Yeah, those are the most athletic uh, positions in the offensive line, mm-hmm. right? And and again. Um, to come in, we, we don't ever talk about him, right? I mean, if we're talking about him, it's because he got beat. Or got a flag right? or did or something wrong. Right. So we, we never talk about him. And, uh, you know, he's out there getting the job done on Ricky's backside. And right? many, he's protecting his backside. That's And this, this also goes to the interior guys as well because of the schemes. But how many times have we seen James Wilder with the long runs or the little passes in the flat? How many times has it been to the left side? You know what? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Most of those long runs have gone around the left side, and sometimes that's Campbell, sometimes that's McEwen on the kickout, on the sure. seal. Yeah. Uh, we've seen that. Uh, we've also seen both guards kind of moving around out there and getting their stuff done. Um, you that's think right. about that, the long touchdown against Edmonton, uh, or was it Montreal? It was one of the long ones at home, and just, uh, you know, Holmes on the, you know, the, 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 the kickout kick or Washington and, and Wattman. Yeah. Just fantastic. Everybody doing their job, and that's what it takes. And uh, Jamichael Dean sort of leading the way. That's and right. The, like they've had, they've got the play of the, uh, that group has, has really improved since the first couple of weeks when it looked like it might be problematic. And they've really gelled as a group, and it made, it made it tough to, uh, to kind of single out one guy. Uh, let's see. We have special teams, the Martise Falcon, uh, Martise Jackson. Yes. Um, this came down to me. There were basically three guys that it came down to, yep. um, because Liam's kind of been up and down. He's had a couple of misses. Uh, it was Jackson. It was Levi Noel and it was James Wilder Jr. Because yeah. at the first and the first part first of the first 13 you games. To the, and, and I know you have a couple of other guys that you like to circle the guys who are going down, maybe not getting the tackles, but blowing up. <laughs> uh, guys downfield. Uh, guys are doing their job on special teams, and that makes it difficult as well. But I, ta- well, I talked to, to one guy uh, on the, uh, let's just say, a non-player with the Argos, uh, sort of on the coaching management side, and, and I, he said that Wilder should get the rookie of the year even if he, uh, and I know we're talking about uh, uh, special teams, but he said he should get the nod at rookie because before he was in the starting lineup as a running back, he was our best special teams player. I mean that right there speaks volumes about his character, yeah. right? I mean, and again, we're we're talking about specials, and we'll come back to to I think Wilder in a minute. Yeah. But um, the fact that it, that that was said speaks you know volumes because he's a running back. He wants yeah. to carry the football, right? That just but he but the fact that he was so dominant on special teams shows he you how badly lost, he just wanted to be out there, wanted to be a part of the team, yeah. wanted to contribute. And uh, and yeah, but getting back to special teams, uh, you know, I, I think well, Martise's numbers yeah. have been very good, outstanding. Yeah, out of the three, you know, three categories: kickoff return, punt return, and missed field goal return. Oh. You know, he's number three, uh, or sorry, sorry, yeah, he's uh, number three in, in kickoff return or punt return. He's number two in, in punt return or sorry, kickoff return and missed field goal. He's number two as well. I, I think I mean, he his, averages his forty-five yards per missed field goal. And he had the long one, which obviously skews it, right? The 125-yarder. Right. Sure. Uh, but, uh, man, the you know, he's had another one 50-plus. I mean, he just, yeah. he's been so good. And just that game, I don't think we'll ever forget that game in Winnipeg when he got his first opportunity to do things. No, no. I mean, he's he's been very solid, getting consistently getting the offense into good field position to start the football game. And, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for having a guy back there like that. 
you know, from a preparation standpoint, teams need to spend a little extra time on, on uh, you know, in defending him. Yep. Right? He's incredibly electric. Balls in his hands, anything can happen. We've seen him in the backfield, too. You yes, know, make, making absolutely. some plays, and uh, you know, I think he's a good candidate. He's in 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 some stiff, co- tough competition. Absolutely, you know, specifically from Deonte Spencer, who's had an unbelievable season in what Ottawa. What game he had right? last are you, week? Are you kidding me? I love Deonte. So such, do I. You know, yeah. we got a chance to spend when we were on the road, and uh, I remember we were in Winnipeg, and we went over to the uh, the, the pre-game. Uh, media availability and they, they, how, the way it works is we'll leave the airport, we'll get in like a, a, a stretch car, taxi or, or minibus and go uh, to the stadium to meet the media. So it would be coach, it yeah. would be three or four players and you and me and, and, and communications type. And, you know, that's where you really got to know the guys a little mm-hmm. bit in our situation. Yep. And uh, by Lord, what a nice kid. So when I saw that, it's too bad it hurt the Argonauts the way it did. Sure. But it was against Hamilton, so it wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta take you gotta take the good with that. I was so happy for the kid. I know he's he's got an opportunity that he didn't he didn't know what the situation was gonna be here. He signed in, in Ottawa before the Argos had their coach and general manager in place. So sure. you know, he did the right thing for him. It's it's too bad it was in the east, but uh it's I find it impossible to cheer against that kid. He's just a really nice guy. Yeah, no, completely and agree. Look great. Very humble and uh dynamic football player. You know, his running style is not that different from Martise. Fast. Right? Very fast, very shifty. But we, I, I think I told you, that we, there was one of the practices a, a couple of weeks ago, and they, they, they got stuck inside this week as well uh, because of the, the, the cold and the wet. But when they practice at the soccer facility, when, you, when you're in there watching, you're not, not doing it from field level. Right. You're up on that riser. So yes. you're like up a story, right? And so they have that kind of place where you can lean over and watch. And... He was running right beneath us and running back sort of the, 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 the punts. My God, what a smooth stride. And to see it from that close, from where I was and kind of that angle, yeah, I didn't realize his gait was that easy. Almost hurt, hurt your neck because your, your head's moving so fast oh, watching him. Unreal. Like it was, you know, the guys that take the small steps and, you know, they're Chad Owens. Yeah. Right? Sure. His style completely different from Martiz Jackson's. Completely different. Yet they're the same size essentially. They're, they're not they're not a taller returner taking those lo- like a wilder would be. It's a sure. different stride. Yeah. But oh my. Well, I mean, it's that speed and then there's a possibility of a of, of a sharp change of direction. Yes. So from a from a coverage standpoint, you're freaking out. You're you're running down and uh you know just being completely cognizant that you can't there can't be a lane. There yeah. cannot be a breakdown in the lane coverage. Or the levels, because if there is, and Martiz sees it, he's going to hit it, and it's going to be by in literally a split second. But we've seen him not only get big yardage using the speed to get around the edge and outrun the the, the guy who's supposed to be setting that post, so to speak. Yeah. And then that game in Hamilton where he won it right up the middle, and then, as you mentioned, he changed directions when there was a little bit of a gap between the two level of tacklers. Yeah. Um, or threw in a spin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah incredibly versatile. You're listening to the Double Blue Podcast on TSN 1050. I'm Mike Hogan along with Jeff Johnson. That 32 guy's been okay at running back when he's been in. The rookie of the year, James Wilder. <laughs> he's, he's been all right. He's, he's, he's okay. Oh, my goodness. What a difference. Hogan, what a difference. What a difference. Well, I mean. Uh, and not, you know, we all love Whit. Like, Brandon Whitaker's sure. you know, pin, a different running pinball style. 2.0, right, yeah. in, in terms of personality. The sure. million-dollar smile does everything you want of the guy. You want to see him succeed. But when you get this kid... Wilder in there, and you see the big runs, and he's just been able to do so much. He's changed that offense. Well, he's you know he he's got that size, and he's got an element of agility using his lower body and his upper body. I mean, he 
in that he can push people the off. The Montreal touchdown right? where he's he very stiff hard four guys. He didn't slow down. Incredibly difficult for guys to bring him down. Mm-hmm. Right? Unless it's a D lineman, even if a D lineman, he just uses the straight arm. But the smaller guys are having difficulty bringing him down. Where traditionally a bigger back, they could go, you know, take out the legs. Well, he's yeah. got that figured out. He 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 he's jumping over guys. He's straight arming them. He's 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 going right into the a, a deep toolbox mm-hmm. and pulling it all out every time he c- catches the ball. He runs with a level of intensity or uh, um, drive that is is you don't see every single play very, very rarely from his, a running back. His goal is to get to the second level, and if he gets to the second level, good luck. Yeah, because it's going to be at least eight yards. Sure. Um, because he's going to run somebody over or drag somebody. Well, he's averaging 7.1 a yeah. carry. But, I mean, you go up the middle, right? And that's going to be skewed by yeah. three ridiculously long runs, three sure. or four. But when you go up the middle and you get past that tackle, instead of two yards, instead of four yards, instead of, you know, middle linebacker comes up and hits him, Yeah, I'm expecting him to either run him over or spin off him and the contacts or just drag him. And how many times have we seen him get hit at the line of scrimmage in the backfield, one or two yards downfield, yes. and they place the ball, and it's second and two? Sure. Well, there was <laughs> a play against Winnipeg last week where I think it might have been a catch, I'm sure, or a run, but it was down near the goal line. Wilder was, uh, TJ Heath engaged him around two yards right. from the from the goal line, yeah. and Wilder dragged him another four or five yeah. while, with uh, with another defensive player on the, in the upper body area. Yeah. Literally dragged T.J. Heath with one leg driving the, driving him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just was, are you kidding me? Yeah. I, it did what he needed to do to get across the goal line. He's almost like he's possessed when he has mm-hmm. the ball. right? He's Perfect just, running back, though. You need that. You had that mentality, right? You, you smell the goal line. And some guys do it better than others. And, you know, with the physical skills that he has, it makes it a little bit easier because he's strong sure. enough to carry guys, and he's 225 pounds at this stage of the season. Um, he's... He's just that guy. Well, uh, yeah, that guy and, you know, one of the top special teams players for the first over half of the season, and then he's in there at running back. He's averaging seven yards a carry. He's number seven in the CFL in rushing in, what, four or five games? Five games, maybe? (laughs) 736 yards rushing. 736 yards rushing in a handful of games. And if we get to the Eastern Semi, or we get to the Eastern Final, or we get to the Grey Cup, and it's cold, and it's a little slick. Thirty-two is going to be a major factor. You're in running the ball, and you know the the short yardage stuff that the Argos do, the quick releases, all of that uh, Charlie checkdown stuff that uh, drives some fans insane. If you're a defensive player, we always talk about offensive players in bad weather and cold weather. Yeah, defensive players do not want to make tackles. Their hands are cold too. And if you give Wilder anything. <laughs> He's going to take it, and you know if it's if it's a rainy day, I think Wilder becomes even more dangerous than if it's good weather, and that's rare to say about a running back. Well, this is how the defenses, the defensive backs, are all going to be quietly praying the night before they go to to sleep, um, before playing the Argonauts, that the middle linebackers make the play against James Wilder. They mm-hmm. will not want Wilder to get through to the second level to where the DBs have to make the play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll be hoping their their Mike and Will get the job done. 
Uh, we've gone way too long in the opening segment, but I don't mind because this was very, very fascinating. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, but, but we don't care about the time, especially online. If, if you're listening to TSN 1050 right now, they've done some major surgery on this segment, and you will be able to go online and find this at argonauts.ca or, or, or find them on Twitter and, and be able to or just go to Double Blue Podcast and download it wherever you need to because this segment was a hell of a lot longer on the Internet than it was on TSN 1050. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm We're saying. We're having fun. It was yeah, a good exactly. chat. 